Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go in-depth on all things Hawkeyes. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO. Happy Wednesday, Hawkeye fans, and welcome into the latest edition of the Hawk Central Radio Show right here on 106.3 KXNO. I am your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. Lots to discuss tonight, including a closer look at the Hawkeyes Kids Day scrimmage over the weekend in Iowa City at Kinnick Stadium. Uh, Obviously, have a quarterback injury situation to discuss, and we will. Later on, we've got some hoops, uh, a lot of hoops, actually, with the Iowa women's basketball program announcing a season sellout on Monday. Uh, Just remarkable. Uh, This is our ninth Hawkeye football season, uh, doing the Hawk Central show on KXNO, and we're continuing to roll ahead. I've been with you that whole time and appreciative of the opportunity to catch you each and every Wednesday. We started with Rick Brown in 2015, then Mark Emmert on the Hawkeyes beat for five years, Kennington Smith for two, and now we're off to a great start with my new Iowa City-based colleague, Tyler Tashman. Uh, Tyler, doing a great job in these first couple weeks. I know you're just getting started, but uh, how are you settling in? Any good uh, move-in stories or anything like that uh, through the course of these first couple weeks? Well, I I mentioned previously about my move-out story of Indiana, of the ceiling uh, dropping down. Uh, but I don't know, nothing too crazy so far, which I think is good. There was a, a, a minor leak above a couple floors above my apartment. So I've had some fans uh, for like about the last week. So it sounded like I'm kind of in the middle of an airfield or something like that. But those are gone now. So uh, it's a lot quieter. I can hear myself think. That's awesome. Uh, We will get to the quarterback situation in a second. But uh, I wondered just uh, off the top here, Tyler, what was your number one takeaway from seeing Hawkeye practice on Saturday uh, in front of 10,000 fans? And you can't say the quarterback. We're going to talk about that later. What else stood out to you? I think the obvious answer would be Iowa's defensive line because I think that they were really dominant. But I feel like at the same time, people don't really want to hear about the defense as much because, you know, the offense is just such a big storyline heading into the season. So I'll, I'll, I'll say that I thought it was encouraging some of the uh, playmakers that, that Iowa that kind of flashed, I would say, during that uh, Kids' Day scrimmage, uh, Seth Anderson, uh, transfer from Charleston Southern wide receiver. I thought he made some really good plays. I thought, um, you know, Caleb Johnson and uh, LaShawn Williams both had some good moments. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it was interesting to see Iowa go a couple of, um, you know, they're going some t- uh, two tight end looks with Eric Alla yeah, transfer from them. Michigan. Yeah. yeah and, and Luke Lachey, to, you know, two playmakers that, you know, could both be tight ends. And I, I also think the, Deontay Vines, uh, he made some really good plays as well. So I think uh, excluding the quarterbacks, just talking about kind of the, the pieces around that, that you would hope that could provide some firepower that Iowa really lacked for a variety of reasons last season, including injuries. I think uh, there were some positive signs to take away from 
when you look about offensive improvement that there look like of more volume of guys that could that could be contributors this season yeah definitely got to stay healthy as you said we will get into a little bit more of a uh kind of a film review almost of the scrimmage here a little bit later in this segment but first we're obviously going to talk about Cade McNamara uh who kind of goes down uh to a non-contact injury while scrambling it was actually setting up to be a pretty nice scramble uh and then he just kind of goes down and um you just hate to see that uh, at any point, uh, the good news is Kirk Ferentz said uh, he did not believe it was structural from um, the sources you've talked to, the sources I've talked to, um, believe that continues to be the case, uh, not a season-ending situation. But, um, you know, as Kirk Ferentz mentioned, above the knee, um, sounds like it's probably a quad strain, uh, quad issue, and, you know, it could be anywhere from... I don't know, one to four weeks, something like that is kind of the the time frame we're thinking. Uh, it just kind of depends um, how how serious it is, and they're obviously not going to give us, a, you know, they're not going to send out the X, you know, the MRI results, uh, you know, in our email inbox. So uh, we kind of go with what we have to go with. But uh, you know, basically, Tyler, you know, they they kind of dodge a bullet a little bit there, but also at the same time, uh, you have to probably go. You know, I, I have. Uh, zero confidence that he'll practice this week uh, probably going to take it easy at the, at a minimum next week and then you're at game week so uh, you hope he gets to week one I, I can't imagine he doesn't play week one unless it's really bad but uh, you know I, I, what do you think about him missing you know potentially a couple weeks of practice here in his first fall camp with the Hawkeyes yeah I think that's kind of the main concern or downside to it is that with the transfer portal and everything, and especially with a quarterback coming in, you, you want to use as much time as possible to be able to build chemistry with wide receivers and, and guys he's going to be throwing to and handing off to in the offensive line and that such. So I think even though he has been around Iowa for you know a, a handful of months now, you would like to probably use as much time as possible. So I think that's that's the downside of, of, of this situation that he might miss some of this last little bit of tune-up and, and getting ready for the season uh, and building that chemistry. But on the other side of things, uh, it's not like Iowa is opening uh, the season against a Big Ten opponent, which I, I would think would make this situation a lot more daunting. But uh, you would think that against Utah State, Cade McNamara isn't going to need to be slinging, you know, 200, 300, whatever plus yards for Iowa to win. You would hope that uh, Caleb Johnson, LaShawn Williams, maybe Jazz Patterson can can carry a, carry the load and uh, Iowa's defense can get it done as well. So I think when it comes to the way the schedule is set up, I think that, mm-hmm. that is actually a, to Iowa's benefit a little bit because you would hope that Iowa can kind of roll past Utah State without without too much of trouble, meaning that you're not really worried about whether Cade McNamara is going to be, you know, a top one or two Big Ten caliber quarterback in Week One. Sure, good analysis there, uh, Tyler. Uh, yeah, let's uh, let's look at Deacon Hill because uh, you know, presumably, obviously, you know, at, at this point. Uh, Deacon Hill's running the twos because Joe Labus has been hurt uh, since last month, so he's been out about a month. And there was hope Joe Labus could come back to practice this week, and and we saw Joe play pretty well in the bowl game. Iowa won that game against Kentucky, twenty-one to nothing. 
uh, in the Music City Bowl, and you know he played decent. Uh, didn't commit turnovers. Uh, ran the offense just fine. I mean, they only scored seven offensive points. So you can only take so much away. But uh, it would be nice if he could come back. Uh, for now, it's Deacon Hill in the number two spot, and he had kind of a rough scrimmage, I would say. Um, there was there was one throw in particular. Um, it was toward the end zone. He had a, a good time to throw, and you know the pocket was clean. And Caleb Brown uh, did an outbreaking route um, toward the end zone. Now Jamari Harris did a great job uh, reading that play. But the throw was just a step late. I mean, that throw has got to come out when Caleb was making his break, and it was after Caleb kind of made the turn. He threw the ball, and, and it was an easy pick for Jamari, and and it would have been ninety-five yard pick six. Um, you know, had it been a real game. So, you know, you just you just worry a little bit if Iowa ha- does have to even go to to its number two. You know, in week one, perhaps. I mean, that would be kind of the worst case scenario. I don't think there's, you know, like I said, I doubt Cade misses any time. But you never know. You just don't know how severe this is going to be. And, uh, you know, do they hold him out as a precaution for the Iowa State game? You just can't say for sure. I mean, Kirk Ferentz will have to answer to that, you know, on Tuesday of game week when we talk to him. But um, so I'm just a little concerned, I guess, with the number two quarterback situation. I feel like uh, (laughs) I think we just feel like after Saturday, even more so kind of hopes for this season really do ride on Cade McNamara in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was actually Deshaun Lee that had that pick that, that you were... Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, you're right. I'm glad you corrected that because I want to give Deshaun some credit. And he had two picks on the day. So, yeah, yeah Jamari had one earlier off Cade. So Deshaun yeah. had the one off Deacon. Yes, thank you. Yeah, those. Yeah, but Deshaun Lee was one of the kind of guys that I thought really stood out in that scrimmage. Um, but yeah, going back to the quarterback in Deacon Hill, and, and this is another thing that, I mean, Deacon Hill is not experienced at the college level at all he mm-hmm. he did not i don't even think he's uh attempted a pass in his college career yet he he redshirted in 2021 last season uh looking at his stats right now zero completion zero attempts so like yeah i i think a lot is riding on Cade mcnamara and i think not only that like not not only is a lot riding on how Cade mcnamara plays but i think even more so is like, can he stay on the field? Like, can right? And I think this is where you also just look at the offensive line. Is like, can the offensive line protect him? Um, because behind him, you know, Joe Labus at least he he played. Uh, he he did enough in in that game that bowl game against Kentucky uh, to allow Iowa to win. And I think he did his job well in that. He let the defense do its work. Mm. He didn't make you know too many mistakes, but I feel like there's just a lot more unknown with Deacon Hill because he we just haven't seen him play at the college level. He just doesn't have experience. So it's um, I think Joe Labus's injury and you know his the unknown status you know about his availability like that that just makes the health of Cade McNamara and whether the offensive line can protect him like even more important. Absolutely. Um, you listen to Hawks Central from the Des Moines Register and KXNO. I'm Chad Leistico talking Hawkeye football with Tyler Tashman, also of the Register. Uh, I just wanted to kind of point out before we end the quarterback conversation, some potential silver linings of this injury. Now, you never it's never a good thing, but um, I feel like sometimes when a star player gets hurt, uh, even if it's just a little bit minor, 
everyone else kind of you know understands the seriousness of hey we we can't rely on Cade to, to kind of lift this whole team up and uh, I think it's an opportunity for the for the whole offensive line to, to kind of band together realize you know hey we've got to do a uh, we got to do our job especially if Cade can't go a week or two this year and uh, you know we've got to move some people off the ball uh, I feel like same thing with uh, the running backs same thing with the backup quarterbacks. I feel like that sense of urgency, like, oh my gosh, I really am one snap away from from directing this team that, that could have a chance to win the Big Ten West. And, and uh, I, you know, I could be coming in, you know, in the middle of the game uh, in Madison, Wisconsin on October 14th, and I, I got to be ready. And uh, hey, Minnesota the next week, I mean, there's a lot of uh, urgency here to kind of get the depth built up where you need to be. And so I feel like... Uh, uh, I feel like that can sometimes sharpen some focus um, is what I'm saying among all players. Also on defense, like, hey, we, you know, hey, Cade may be looking good in practice, but, you know, as a defense, we still got to be just as good as we were last year. Um, You know, keep teams off the board because, you know, we can't count on, you know, we have to remember that we can't necessarily count on Cade to to solve every single problem on offense. So uh, that was that. Uh, Tyler and I did do a post-game episode from the scrimmage, so you can catch that on our Hawk Central YouTube page or check hawkcentral.com. You can also find it by scrolling uh, into my Twitter feed for the audio link. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Chad Leistico, L-E-I-S-T-I-K-O-W. Uh, but since then, Tyler and I embarked on our own little projects, and we we agreed we'd kind of try to rewatch every snap of the scrimmage and dissect it. And I'll be honest, Tyler, after Cade got hurt, I didn't watch as closely <laughs> to the scrimmage, so it was good to kind of review it again. Uh, let's start with you. What were uh, maybe some takeaways you have now that you didn't have then? Yeah, there were a handful of names that I thought uh, made some made some good plays. Uh, I guess the one at the top of the list that had been mentioned before, but I think was even more so impressive watching it back was Brian Allen, uh, the defensive end. Mm-hmm. He was just an absolute monster. Uh, and so I, I think that he he could have a chance of making a real impact this season. Um, some other names I thought, uh, Max Llewellyn, defensive lineman. Uh, there was one play in particular that he uh, put one of the offensive linemen in a blender with a spin move. That was really nice. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I think, it's always already kind of become clear to me how much depth and talent uh, the tight end groups and running back groups have. And I guess that's looking at tight ends specifically of like Luke Lachey and Eric all and running backs of LaShawn Williams and uh, Caleb Johnson and uh, Jazz Patterson. But beyond those kind of first tier of guys in those two rooms, I thought the, you know, the, Kind of the guys further down the depth chart showed a lot. I thought Steven Stilianos, the senior tight end, made some really good plays. Uh, Addison Estranga, uh, sophomore tight end. Uh, and then in the running back room, uh, Kamari Moulton, a freshman running back, I, I, I thought looked good. And then Max White, a sophomore running back, uh, he, he kind of had a longer run. Yeah. Uh, but I, I thought, yeah, I, I thought that uh, those were some of the guys that. Uh, stood out as well and then Jarrett Bowie a freshman wide receiver mm-hmm. he also made some good plays so kind of just looking back those were those were some of the guys that maybe like you said I think I don't think you're the only one that kind of checked out a little bit <laughs> and went on, went on full Cade McNamara watch once yeah. he left but um but yeah just looking back through it those were some of the kind of maybe guys that flew under the radar a little bit more 
Yeah, I think my binoculars were more pointed towards the tunnel and the sidelines than it was on the field from uh, the press box. And I know you were down on the field. And by the way, Tyler does have some some good video up at Hawk Central from the scrimmage, so check that out. Um, yeah, I'll start as well with the defensive line, but more in particular, Tyler, the defensive ends, because uh, when, I, when I was at Media Day, um, we were both at Media Day on Friday, I kind of talked to Kelvin Bell for a while and I asked him, like, eh, you know, like you do lose Van Ness, you lose John Wagner, you know, what's, how's it, you know, are you a little concerned at, with a pass rush? And he, you know, with with the full amount of respect that he wanted to show, but also full amount of confidence, I feel like, he kind of was like, uh, yeah, we'll be fine. <laughs> that was basically his answer. And then the next day at the at the Gizday scrimmage, I'm like, oh yeah, they're going to be fine at defensive end. Uh, Deontay Craig, to me, is is still their premier uh, pass rusher. He was outstanding in limited reps last year, second team reps, but I think he's going to be their top guy this year. He just looks so good. Uh, Joe Evans, I don't know. It just seems like he's taken another step to me. And those two guys will probably, I'm guessing, as long as they're healthy, start every game. But then the the depth, like you mentioned, Tyler, uh, we've known about Ethan Herkett, and uh, he he also uh, stood out on Kids Day. And then Max Llewellyn, I thought uh, you you mentioned the spin move he had, which was just outstanding against Jenny, Jennings Dunker. He had a couple times where he just uh, he just looked really quick off the edge, number 48. And then Brian Allen was was the star of the day, to be honest, on defense. I mean. He was wrecking things, and it wasn't just uh, against the backup tackles. Now, that did help him, I think, shine a little bit, but they also lined him up at D-tackle at one point, and he uh, he kind of took Connor Colby to school uh, at one of those uh, pass rushes right up the middle. And so uh, I could see Brian Allen potentially, yeah, he's, he's maybe the fifth defensive end in terms of the depth chart, but... Maybe he could be kind of a third down toy where they just turn him loose on third down and inside, outside, that type of thing. Maybe a little bit in the you know, mold of, of Lucas Van Ness, uh, something like that. So uh, anything else, Tyler, before we uh, close out this segment that, that you want to mention from the Kids Day scrimmage? I'd just say that uh, you know a handful of guys that I mentioned, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, and I know this is – looking forward and it's a really small sample size um because the the priority is obviously the 2023 season but i thought that a lot of the guys that or some of these guys that maybe kind of flew under the radar that were younger were on were on offense so i think when you if you want to pull straws and and look for things that might be optimistic in the future in terms of uh offense I think that there were some signs of, hey, this this might be the next wave of guys that you can look forward to coming in and and maybe being able to brighten, you know, the the outlook of Iowa's uh, uh, offense, you know, once once the guys that are going to be in the kind of star starring roles, uh, you know, this season move on. Yeah, and I know it's hard to tell much from the running game in these things because they're not going you know, absolute full contact. I mean, there was tackling, but uh, they kind of let up too at the same time. But I just, I did think offensive line wise, I felt like the run blocking for the most part was pretty good. And so, and, and maybe, maybe the running backs are making them look good, but I really do like the running back depth. I think LeSean Williams uh, really looks terrific as a backup and Jazzy and Patterson too. I mean, they're very capable in terms of everything we've, we've seen. So a uh, very solid three deep at running back with with the star at the top in Caleb Johnson. Coming up next, 
We will talk about some of these stories we uh, mined from Media Day on Friday. You're listening to Chad Lystico and Tyler Tashman of the Des Moines Register on Hawk Central Radio 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station 106.3 KXNO. Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio right here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Lystico of the Des Moines Register. Happy to be rejoined again by Tyler Tashman of the register make sure you're following tyler on twitter uh the handle is at tyler underscore t15 what is the 15 tyler uh that was my number when i played baseball in high school and that's when i created my twitter account so that's the brief backstory (laughs) i like it succinct brief uh makes sense all right iowa football media day was also on friday we kind of revamped recapped uh the Kids Day scrimmage in our first segment. Now let's dig into kind of some of the other storylines that cropped up, stuff we're working on, Tyler, and kind of intriguing storylines for the 2023 season and potentially beyond. Uh, one guy we mentioned in the first segment, but I, I'm really excited about uh, to see what happens with him, is Caleb Johnson, the sophomore running back out of Ohio. Uh, Raymond Braithwaite uh, had a lot of great things to say about him in terms of his uh, physique, but uh, give us a snapshot maybe. Um, I know you've been working on a lot of interviews on this story, and I believe it's going to run in Sunday's paper and and, uh, sometime this week online, but give us a snapshot of maybe something you learned about Caleb that uh, our listeners might like to hear. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I'll I'll try to not give away too much so at least to to lead you on to read the story. But I think one kind of thing that was interesting was the fact of how good of a season he had last season. Not only was was he a a, a true freshman, but also that he was playing behind an offensive line that was struggling. And um, it turns out he actually had a similar situation when he was a senior in high school, rushed for over uh, a thousand yards, despite the fact that he was also playing behind kind of a poor offensive line. So he had to kind of do a lot of stuff by himself, but uh, you know, in talking to his high school coach, Nate Mahome, uh, he, he didn't really see that affect Caleb. He, he, he saw him kind of become a leader and, and didn't get discouraged by the fact that he was, uh, you know, playing behind an offensive line that, that, that was subpar. Um, but, but what also has become clear with this story is just how, how focused and I would just say mentally mature Caleb seems is that he he writes down his goals, he manifests his goals. He said what really made him believe believe that worked was that when he was younger he he wrote down that he wanted to be the starting running back in high school and that came to fruition. So that's something he still does now. He was kind of uh hesitant to give away what his what he had written down as his goals for this up, up, upcoming season, but one of the things he did say is that he want he wants to have more than 300 yards receiving, uh, which I thought oh. was was interesting. And, and I guess part of becoming that kind of complete back is not only being able to run the ball, but also be able to catch it out of the backfield. So I think, I mean, if, if, he, if he has more than 300 receiving yards, then, I mean, he, I, I would guess he would have a pretty special season because you, you, you would – you know, I think there's a chance he could he could be a 1,000 yard rusher. So if you add you know another 300 onto that, but um, no, he just seems like someone that's really really focused on his goals, uh, works really hard. Um, you know, just kind of has some some real mental maturity uh, for his age. 
Yeah, I'm excited to read that piece. Uh, Caleb uh, did set the Iowa freshman uh, rushing record last season. Um, so uh, 779 yards. Averaged 5.16 yards per carry last year. Again, behind that offensive line. The entire rushing attack, rushing attack outside of Caleb Johnson last year, 272 rushes for 455 yards. That's 1.67 per carry. So Caleb, 5.16. Rest of team, 1.67. Obviously, sack yardage is included in that, but there's a lot of running plays in there that were dead dead to rights, and uh, he kind of made some stuff out of nothing, broke some big ones. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I think the if, if we had to guess, Tyler, what else is on that piece of paper that he wrote uh, I wonder what it what it would be. Any let's take it, let's take a stab at it. What do you think? What else did he write on that piece of paper? Man, I, I don't know if this this isn't is, isn't as much of like a tangible goal. But one thing I I do know that he's worked on this summer is his agility, and I and I think we saw that uh, briefly in the kids' day scrimmage. He made uh a defender missed badly. He made a really good cut and just kind of bounced it to the outside. So maybe, maybe it's becoming more of a, not just a power guy, but um, uh, kind of make you miss a little East West guy as well. And I think to me, that's one of the next steps too for him becoming kind of a complete back is not only someone that can run over you, but that can make you miss and uh, you know, just beat you in a, in a multiplicity of ways. Yeah, six foot, two twenty five, just uh type of back Iowa really hasn't had back there for a while. Really excited to see what he can do, especially if the offensive line can be decent. Uh I published this a story that went online this morning on another uh kind of interesting figure within the Iowa program, Ben Keeter. Uh what he is trying to do, the true freshman from Iowa City High, is absolutely unprecedented. He is a junior world champion in wrestling. Uh this you know, he did he won that last uh, August, uh, ninety seven kilos, which is about two thirteen, and now he's trying to do the double play, two of the most grueling sports uh, that you could possibly try in Power Five athletics, football and wrestling. Uh, but he is uh, in football. He is in the midst of fall camp, and they have him at middle linebacker. Uh, he's right now uh, upped his weight to about two twenty eight, so he's gained about fifteen pounds. His target weight for football is between 240 and 245, and you kind of say, hmm, that sounds pretty familiar. Uh, I think eventually he could be kind of that Jack Campbell type of thumper in the middle of Iowa's defense. Uh, Hope you guys check out the story I did write on Ben. Um, Should be absolutely fascinating to watch how he can do this. He he was telling me about one day he – went into Coach Ferentz's office and asked for permission to leave fall camp so he could go uh, practice in the wrestling room with, uh, you know, Tom Brands and company. And uh, Kirk just kind of looks at him and says, uh, can you handle it? And he said, absolutely. And uh, so that's kind of it. Uh, and Tom Brands's uh, message for, for Ben, which I did not put in the story, is get it done. <laughs> that is Tom Brand. So he's just going to try to do both and – uh, really fascinating. He'll be a heavyweight uh, in the wrestling room. You know, can he become a national champion for the Hawkeyes? Maybe a multinational champion. Man, that's just going to be so hard to do when he's not doing it full time. At the same time, uh, he is so accomplished. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I know you don't know a ton about wrestling yet, Tyler, but uh, just when you when you kind of hear what he's trying to pull off, and and knowing, yeah, Connor McCaffrey really could not pull off the two sport plan. 
uh, with baseball and basketball. Brody Brecht ultimately uh, decided to give up on football to pursue kind of the <laughs> – he's going to be a top five pick potentially next uh, summer. Uh, it's really hard to pull off, and he's going to try to do it in two physically demanding sports. Yeah, and I, I don't – I'm not as, you know, fully well-versed in Iowa wrestling, but I did cover wrestling when I was at Indiana, and uh, I did – I actually wrestled a little bit when I was in high school, so I – I have an idea about the sport and, and I know how passionate people are in Iowa, but I, you know, the thing that I realized when I wrestled was just how physically taxing it is, right? Like if you're watching it, you might not think like, and you're not as familiar with wrestling. You might not think like, okay, these guys kind of, you know, moving around a little bit. Like it, that, that wouldn't be that hard for your conditioning, but like it is grueling and the practices are ridiculous. So, <laughs> You know, yeah. And no, that's, that's in high school I, I, or whatever, you know, or yeah, junior right, high or whatever you're yeah. doing. So th- this is like yeah. Iowa wrestling, <laughs> Tom right. Brands. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So that you have you have Iowa wrestling and Iowa football, which I'm sure are both just uh, grueling uh, in terms of what you have to are required to give physically. So no, I I tip my cap to him, and uh, you know if he can continue to do that, I'd say that's pretty impressive. Yeah. the The nice thing for Ben is that he will be able to wrestle at his football weight, uh, 240, 245 in that range at heavyweight. So one of the tough, toughest things would be weight cutting potentially, but he will not have to do that really when he is wrestling um, at Iowa. And there's really no plan in terms of the transition. You know, I'll be curious to see kind of how this unfolds like in football. Like Seth Wallace said he doesn't plan on him playing linebacker this year, but will he play you know, maybe that four game rule in on special teams where he can play like four games late in the season, be a maniac on the kickoff team or whatever, and not lose a year of eligibility. And then wrestling, you know, he shouldn't have to wrestle this year with Tony Cassiope coming back for his sixth year. So it'll be a good year for Ben to get acclimated, I feel like, in both sports. And then next year in particular, you know, Jay Higgins and Nick Jackson leave. You know, how fast can he ascend on football? And then certainly he'll be counted on. In wrestling, talked a lot about Ben there. Let's move on to another uh, elite recruit, and that would be Xavier Wampa. He is entering his first year as a starter on the Hawkeye team. He's at strong safety. Uh, didn't really uh, shine or look bad on Saturday's scrimmage, and sometimes that's a sometimes that's a really good thing for a safety. Uh, I know you talked to Xavier at Media Day, Tyler. What were your impressions? Anything you took away from uh, how he's preparing for his? Uh, kind of inaugural season as a Hawkeye starter. Yeah. One of the, I guess one of the main takeaways I had was that, uh, with Kayvon Merriweather actually was that, and, and obviously Kayvon Merriweather was, uh, such a big part of Iowa's defense last season. And, uh, now he's moved on from Iowa, but the ripple effects of his presence are still being felt by Xavier Wampa. And he was saying that Kayvon really took him under his wing one of the things he learned from him was how to watch film and that, you know, obviously Xavier watched film in high school, but he said he really learned the, there's a different way to watch it in the depth that you have to watch it in, in college. And and he said, uh, Kayvon really helped him with that. So, um, you know, now, now that Kayvon is gone and, and Xavier is in, in line to take that position, I found it interesting of just kind of how how Xavier learned from Kayvon and, and, and now may, be, might be able to take kind of what he learned 
uh, you know, into this first season because because first season as a, a regular starter potentially yeah. because we, we saw you know last season uh, in the in the uh, bowl game against Kentucky when he had the pick six I think kind of validated the expectations coming in for him as like a five star guy and uh, someone that that was expected to be kind of a foundational piece of the future of Iowa's defense so uh, you know that that was a little you know, indication of what it could be. And now I think this season uh, it could very well be a, a larger sample size of, you know, his fit into the defense and whether he can really be that, uh, you know, kind of established and consistent guy on the back end. Yeah, opponents may be able to throw away from Cooper DeGene on one side of the field, but they will not be able to throw away from Xavier Wampa uh, in the middle of that defense. So it'll be interesting to see how many opportunities he gets at some interceptions, and we know if he gets the ball in his hands, uh, he's very capable of taking it to the house. So one more uh, interesting subject, I guess, going into the season that, that uh, I wrote a story on that published Tuesday online. You can um, check that out at hawkcentral.com. Is, uh, on Judd, John Budmeyer, the uh, special assist, senior special assistant uh, to the head coach at uh, age 32. Uh, he is uh, essentially, you know, uh, he can't uh, provide... Uh, instruction or tactical instruction based on his role uh, to athletes but he he can you know recommend play calls to Brian Ferentz he can sit in on meetings he can uh, be on the field he can do all that stuff he just can't uh, teach uh, directly to athletes so he's basically helping out Brian Ferentz and I think it's a fair characterization uh, to call him the quarterback's coach at Iowa and Brian is your, you know, offensive coordinator slash play caller. So uh, Bud Meyer has uh, finally talked to the media. I've been asking to talk to him for a while. Uh, I was really thankful that he did uh, come out and, and do interviews on Friday. Uh, I thought it was really interesting and uh, just kind of to capture um, kind of the mysterious nature uh, of his role. Um, there was a funny quote that Sam Laporta gave on a podcast, and I included this in my story where he said he showed up at spring practice last year in 2022 and said, he goes, uh, out of the blue, there's this new guy in the building and he has his hands in the offense. I'm just like, who the F is this guy? <laughs> and um, that was, uh, you know, everyone was just like, God, who is this guy? And, you know, he has a big uh, factor in in the Hawkeye offense. So uh, you know, he, he was instrumental in bringing Cade McNamara and Deacon Hill to the program. Uh, so really, really interesting guy. Uh, I think, it's clear that the Ferences trust him. Brian Ferentz, uh, very deferential to him. Um, John Budmeyer was telling me that, you know, it's really nice that Brian has been able to put his ego aside in terms of what he does know and doesn't know about quarterbacks and kind of let him uh, educate him and, and kind of shape kind of what the quarterbacks are doing um, to kind of fit what the Hawkeyes want to do offensively. So uh, pretty interesting stuff there. Make sure to check that out at hawkcentral.com. And uh, we'll be following John Budmeyer's story uh, this year, and he'll be, uh, you know, who knows if Brian moves on at the end of the season one way or another, maybe John Budmeyer is the next offensive coordinator at the University of Iowa. I kind of laid out how that could happen at the end of my article, so check that out. All right, coming up next on Hawk Central, we got a lot of Hawkeye basketball to discuss. Tyler is a big basketball guy, as you've probably seen by his coverage already. Who opened eyes on the men's and women's foreign trips? We'll get into that and more next here on 106.3 KXNO. This is Hawk Central on Des Moines Sports Station. 106.3 KXNO.
Welcome back to Hawk Central Radio here on 106.3 KXNO. I'm your host, Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. My pace always quickens in this last segment because we're rushing up to that 7 o'clock finish line. Uh, thanks for joining me. And Tyler Tashman, as we take you to the top of the hour. Tyler, the Iowa men and women finished their foreign basketball trips. Let's start with the men, as you've been writing about their exploits over in Spain and France. Uh, the Hawkeyes beat the Barcelona All-Stars 106 to 79 in the finale. That was a game they trailed at halftime. So uh, it looked like to me, and I know you wrote a lot about this, I'm going to let you fly on this, that Peyton Sanford and Ben Cricky were kind of key in that comeback, and both guys sort of had the biggest weeks, I would say, in France and Spain. Is that accurate? And uh, what were your top takeaways, I guess, from the trip? I think it was a trip that you could definitely take a lot of optimism from and, and and I've said this before and games in August and games overseas, you know, obviously I think it's important just to qualify that there's still a long way to go before the season. But I think that there were a handful of encouraging things you can take away from the trip. I mean, Iowa won its three games by a combined 109 points. They scored more than a hundred in each of the three games and, and the smallest margin of victory was that last game when they won by 27 and, and they were trailing at halftime. But uh, to me, the biggest uh, storyline, I guess, and, and there were a few important ones, but I think the biggest was, was what Peyton Sanford did. And, and last season, him being the Big Ten Sixth Man of the Year, I think the question heading into this season is, can he make that jump from elite role player to a, to a steady kind of main option? And during the three games, he averaged 19 points, uh, 11 rebounds, and 44% from deep. And those are all really good numbers. But, I, you know, the 11 rebounds, I think, is important because it could give Iowa some positional flexibility, right? Because the last two seasons, uh, Iowa has had really good kind of stretch four wings, I guess you would call them, with Keegan and then Chris allowing them to stretch teams out and, and play smaller. And it didn't feel like there was like an obvious air to that coming into this season. But if, if Peyton Sanford can rebound at that level, you can possibly swing him as a, a four and, and play a smaller ball lineup. And, or you could go bigger and, and maybe put Owen Freeman and Ben Creaky on the court together. And, and that brings me to the next point of Owen Freeman, that uh, freshman coming in, uh, just did some really impressive stuff on the glass, averaged 12.3 rebounds per game. He had 15 rebounds in the first game, and, and that's including nine offensive. He followed that up with a 16-rebound performance, only six rebounds in the third. So he was he fell off uh, yeah. in that third game, but that's, yeah. Was, he just like uh, loafing out there or what? Almost, I know. What's only averaged 12.3 for the week. Uh, but, yeah, obviously because of what Iowa's lost this offseason, that – Chris Murray and, and Philip Robracha, uh, they're two most productive players when it comes to scoring and rebounding. Not only were they their, you know, Iowa's best front court players, but they were their best players uh, in terms of scoring and rebounding on the entire team. Uh, Iowa also lacked depth behind them. So I think the fact that Owen Freeman is emerging uh, pretty early on in his you know, career so far, and, and that Ben Crickey, uh, also played at a high level. He averaged 16.3 points and 8.3 rebounds, and, and he's a transfer from Valparaiso, who has kind of come in with high expectations around him because he led the Missouri Valley Conference in scoring last season uh, at 19.4 points per game. 
But I think that, you know, to say that I was front court could be better than last season, I'm not ready to make any sweeping conclusions or get close to that yet. But I do think that Iowa's front court could be deeper and longer than last season because Murray and Rabracha kind of combined mm-hmm. combined for a, a smaller, you know, undersized front front court. And I think Iowa has the ability to be longer and maybe just be be able to play bigger with, you know, have flexibility of putting Peyton Sanford at the four um, or playing with two bigger guys or being able to adapt a little bit more and not have to worry about foul trouble uh, on a consistent basis. So I think to me, those were a couple of the things uh, that that stood out early on, and obviously a long way to go. But I, you know, I think it was a, a successful trip. Yeah, I think uh, I could envision a scenario where Cricky and Freeman end up being kind of your five and four uh, uh, for the Hawkeyes, and then Evan Bronze maybe your your top big man off the bench. And when you ha- like you said, when you have to go big, um, you know he's uh, he's maybe the guy that can can size up against the Zach Eadies of the world, whatnot. And, um, yeah, and then you also got Lodgy Dembele, who joined the, the team on the trip. And, you know, he might be an interesting depth piece in that front court. And then I did see, uh, Tyler, that Fran talked about uh, baby Peyton Sanford playing the four at times. Uh, if Iowa does want to go small, and I really – I kind of like that intriguing option, especially if he's able to rebound – uh, potentially, and and then you can get some of your wings out on the on the court a little bit more. Somebody like Josh Dix, who had a really really solid trip. I don't know if you have the numbers for Josh in front of you, but uh, it, it looked like you know sometimes you forget about him um, a little bit just because he was uh, coming off injury last year. And you think of Perkins, you think of Sanford, you think of the other Sanford, think of Patrick McCaffrey. But uh, I think Josh Dix could really be a, a key weapon for this team. And then I think Desante Bowen had a really nice game in the finale as well. So like you said, it's early, but uh, kind of some fun stuff. Uh, any other numbers uh, real quick that, that stood out to you from, or, or just any final thoughts uh, from the men's side on the foreign trip? Yeah, you mentioned Josh Dix, and he, he went 7 for 13 from 3, which was 53.8% uh, during the foreign tour. So obviously he was shooting really well, and, and that's coming off of him shooting 40% from deep as a freshman. So, you know, maybe he if he can be kind of that dead-eye knockdown shooter because I was losing a lot of shooting production with the departure of Chris Murray. Uh, so you, you, you feel like you're going to need one or two guys probably to try to fill that production. But uh, that kind of leads into the, the point of uh, it seems like Iowa could be deeper than last season. Last season they only had seven guys that played in uh, double-figure minutes on, you know, per-game average. Uh, it feels like Iowa has the pieces to be a much deeper team this season. You talk about Josh Dix and, and DeSante Bowen, two sophomores who could take a major step forward in that final game. DeSante Bowen had 16 points, three assists, and no turnovers. Uh, and then beyond beyond uh, Owen Freeman, some of Iowa's other freshmen, Price Sanford, uh, he went three for eight from deep in the first game. Laji Dembele uh, had a nice second game. And then Brock Harding, I think, quietly maybe – had 34 points over the three games. Mm. Who's kind of a undersized but really quick guard, um, and and so you know I feel put together. There's still like you you hope the core group of guys is uh, you know the three returners of Tony Perkins, Peyton Sanford, uh, Patrick McCaffrey, and then the addition of Ben Cricky. That that maybe is your core four guys that 
you hope you can rely on on a consistent basis. But I think beyond that, it's kind of a question of there's a lot of guys that uh, are capable but unproven at the college level. So I think there's a lot of different options of guys that could be key contributors. I think, uh, you know, if a lot of those question marks kind of become more clear in terms of being able to be reliable, I think Iowa could could very well be a, a deeper team than last season because last season, uh, you know, they, they just weren't weren't very deep given uh, various circumstances. But, you know, I think when you're talking about this team being better than last season or, uh, you know, being better in, in, in different aspects, I think that's one that you could definitely look at as being a possibility. Only a couple minutes left here on Hawk Central, and we do want to get to the Iowa women, of course, a uh, huge story that they are. So I'll kind of take you to the finish line here on the women. Uh, first of all, the Hawkeye women do go 3-0 and in Italy and Croatia. No big surprise. But the bigger news that broke Monday was that the entire women's home schedule is sold out at Carver Hawkeye Arena via season tickets. That's right. No single-game sales are planned. Uh, there could be a handful of games where there are returns from visiting teams, but I can't imagine that those uh, will get out to the general public. Uh, it sounds like Iowa will redistribute those uh, to people that, didn't get season tickets that wanted those. Um, at least they'll, they'll get the first offers there. Uh, if you think about it, uh, they could have raised the prices even higher on these season tickets. They were still on the 175 to 195 range. But if you do the math there, that's close to $2.6 million in ticket revenue for women's hoops. And that's before one Carver cone is sold and one piece of uh, uh, Hawkeye merchandise, uh, you know, is, is sold at the registers. And then they've also got the potential, I th- you know, as I do the math, a potential like seven hundred thousand uh, dollars of ticket revenue if they are able to sell out Kinnick for the uh, basketball exhibition against DePaul on October fifteenth. So, really, really fun stuff for the Iowa women. Uh, you know, that turns my attention to road games. If you can't get a ticket for home games, start looking at the road games. And and the women's basketball road schedule in the Big Ten is, you know, pretty drivable. You know, for a lot of these, uh, the two plays this year, which means road games, would be Indiana, Minnesota, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Also, Northwestern, Maryland, Purdue, and Rutgers. So, you know, Northwestern, Wisconsin, those are types of games where you probably have access to seats where they're not going to have big home crowds. Those could be de facto uh, home crowds for the Hawkeyes, potentially. Um, so anyway, uh, pretty interesting stuff. The Caitlin Clark Celebrity Tour, uh, you know, will be marching on this year. It's going to be really, really fun to watch. By the way, she had a terrific foreign trip. No surprise, even in limited minutes, she scored 56 points in the three games, 12 of 28 from three. But some other Hawkeyes kind of stood out in those three games. Uh, average margin of victory, Tyler, 209 points, so almost 70 points uh, per game. Uh, I, I think the final game was like 109 to 29 or something like that so uh, a couple things that stood out to me Hannah Stolke uh, they want her to try to develop a three-point shot this year she was three for five from three Uh, we know her free throws were a struggle last year she went eight of 11 in the last game on the tour from the line so those are little checkpoints of improvement I think you can you can take to you know as, as something you can tell she's been working on that Molly Davis uh, averaged 12 points per game and shot 64% from the floor on the trip. Uh, one person that was on the trip told me that you know she was one of the kind of surprising or uh, you know uplifting stars of the team. Obviously, Iowa loses a couple people in the front court, but they're going to need uh, a deep backcourt. And Molly Davis, you know, that transfer uh, who was kind of in a limited role last year, maybe she steps up this year. 
Uh, Taylor McCabe, the sharpshooter, she goes 11 of 25 from three. That's 44%. Peyton Sanford, uh, turf, I guess, right? Uh, Gabby Marshall was only 0 for, was 0 for 9 from three on the trip, by the way. It, it seemed like she just didn't play as much. So they, were, I think they were trying to get Davis and McCabe. Uh, Sid Affelter uh, acclimated. Affelter averaged uh, 10 points in 11 boards per game. She was the leading rebounder for the team as kind of that uh, small forward type. So that could be maybe you know somebody to look at in that McKenna Warnock type of role. Uh, pretty interesting. And then we know they're they're looking for a five. Addie O'Grady goes 75% from the floor on the trip, uh, 18 of 24. Uh, yeah. Pretty exciting, Tyler, and uh, we just, uh, we're just we grateful to have you along, my man. Uh, I know you've only got about 20 seconds left here, but uh, appreciate the efforts you've been putting forth on hoops, and I know you're you're into it. Yeah, of course, and I, I don't know if we had mentioned this on a previous episode, but the, the crossover at Kinnick, uh, you know, what, that's a great idea, just the, the women's team playing uh, at Kinnick for an exhibition. Uh, hopefully the weather, you know, is, is good and everything, but that, that should be a, a really cool atmosphere. Absolutely. Well, basketball, Tyler, will slide to the back burner now for a few months. Uh, we are just 17 days until the season opener for Hawkeye football. We will have uh, you guys covered all the way. For Tyler Tashman, this is Chad Leistico of the Des Moines Register. We will be excited to talk to you again next Wednesday night for another episode of Hawk Central here on 106.3 KXNO. Good night, everyone. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.